0: Welcome. You're listening to the Aligned Self, conversations in creating a conscious and abundant life. This is Daniel DeNovi. I'll be your guide and host. Let's see just where we can take this. Hello, friend. Welcome back. And if this is your first time here, welcome home. As you continue listening to the podcast, You'll find that uh, one belief that we hold is that there are no accidents that you create your reality. So the fact that you're here it's by divine appointment. It's an answer to a question that you've posed to the universe that you've held in your mind and your reticular activating system, we'll talk about that down the road, but your inborn radar has honed in on this topic, honed in on this podcast and you find yourself here in answer to a question. And that question is probably something like, how do I live my best life? How do I create an amazing experience as a human being? How can I be all that I can be? How can I fulfill on my potential? How can I connect to my higher self and engage on the spiritual adventure? Just what is possible for my life? So as you continue to listen to this episode, just go ahead and hit the subscribe button. And when the podcast is over, share it with as many people as you can. Those people that you know and love that will find value in this message. Again, if you're new, uh, just who am I? I am a high-performance coach. I work with individuals and organizations to maximize their performance, to get the best results, the best life possible. And I'm just starting another round of my signature program, The Aligned Self, which is about recreating the self, self self-identity from the inside out to unleash your true authentic expression, aligning your heart with your mind and your body so that who you think you are, who you know yourself to be is in alignment with your grandest intentions, your dreams and goals. And you can live your life on purpose, experiencing a profound sense of joy, peace, and love. There is literally no other program like it. So whenever we start a new session of the Aligned Self, I'm deep in my own mind thinking about self-identity, self-expression, personality, and aligning the heart with the mind and the body. I think about each participant in the program and align my thinking with theirs. And I thought today would be a great opportunity to give you a little insight to some of the stuff that we talk about in the Aligned Self. And this is about creating a worthy destination, a mission for your life. See, this worthy destination, the mission for your life is the organizing principle in the end about how you organize your thinking, organize your behavior, and gives rise to the actions that take place every day in your life. As you get knocked down, which if you're human will happen from time to time, it inspires you to get up, dust yourself off, and keep on keeping on. The philosopher Friedrich Nietzsche talked about it this way, if you have a big enough why, you will bear any how. To start off this topic, I'm going to share a parable, and it begins with a traveler that is making his way across the countryside on horseback. And he comes upon a strange scene. He sees a series of men that are cutting and carrying away stones up a hill. And he noticed almost immediately that some of the men were smiling and seemed to carry the stones easily. And other men were struggling and were sweating and obviously in discomfort, obviously in pain. And they seemed to be carrying the same load. And one of the men that appeared to be in extreme discomfort had stopped to rest and laid down his stone. And the traveler asked him, Tell me, friend, about the work you're doing. And the man replied, obviously annoyed, Isn't it obvious? I'm carrying this stone up a hill. And then the traveler responded, I see. Well, have a great day. And the guy replied, Yeah, right. And with that, the traveler moved down the road just a bit. And his curiosity got the best of him. He asked another man who didn't seem, not terribly happy, but he seemed to be doing a lot better than the last guy. And he asked, what are you doing? And the guy replied, I'm a stonemason. I'm building a wall. And the traveler asked, what is the wall for? And the stonemason replied, I don't know. I just do what they tell me. I think it's a church. And with that, the stonemason was on his way. And right behind him was a man whose eyes were lit up, and he was smiling, carrying a stone the same size as the other two. Seeing the profound difference in his emotional state over the other two, the traveler became very curious. And so he asked the man, so tell me, sir, what are you doing? He said, I am a craftsman, and I'm assisting in building a true monument to God, I'm building a cathedral, and the spires are going to reach up so high that they will touch the divine, and this cathedral will stand for a millennia. It will be a testament to our faith. And with that, he merrily proceeded on. The moral of the story is that the first man was doing a job. The second man was engaged in a career. The third man had a mission. He was moving towards a worthy destination, and as a consequence, the labor was minimal. The effort seemed trivial, because he was connected to a goal, an intention that was bigger than himself. He was building a legacy. In the fall of 1962, then-President John F. Kennedy delivered a speech that created a mission for the United States— one that carried us through the decade, and that was the mission of going to the moon. I'm going to play about a minute of his 22-minute speech that he delivered at Rice University in Houston, Texas, where he lays down the gauntlet, making a declaration that mobilized a country, mobilized industry, and captured the imaginations of the world. And it's
1: opportunity...
0: That speech is considered one of the greatest presidential speeches ever delivered. It was given in front of 40,000 people in the stadium at Rice University. It was also carried on all three networks. Yes, if you didn't know, in 1962, there were only three television networks, only three channels you could watch. And since they didn't want to play favorites, it was carried on all three networks equally. It was delivered at a time in history when the average American actually listened and watched the the president deliver a speech. Kennedy wasn't talking about the economy. He wasn't talking about war. He wasn't talking about... He was talking about the impossible, about men and women doing the impossible. At that time, going all the way to the moon was considered impossible. No one had ever done it. And just the previous year, the first manned U.S. flight only lasted 15 minutes. Alan Shepard never made it into orbit. So JFK had laid down the gauntlet to do the impossible within eight years. We had no idea how we were going to fulfill on this goal, this intention, but as a nation, we became committed A short time after that speech, President Kennedy visited Cape Canaveral at the NASA Space Center, and he saw a man mopping the floor, and he was doing so with a smile and a sense of ease. Intrigued, President Kennedy went over and talked to the man. He said, what are you doing, sir? He said, Mr. President, I'm helping send a man to the moon. Here was a man mopping the floor, but in his mind... He was assisting in sending a man to the moon. It was part of his mission. And so when there's a grand vision, everyone wants to get on board. Everyone can buy into that. On July 16, 1969, Apollo 11 was launched. It took almost four days to get to the moon. I was eight years old, and I remember seeing nothing but this flight on the television for almost four days straight. There was a camera affixed to the outside of the fuselage, and so you could see it, and you could see it moving through space. It was an experience that was memorable. It was never before seen by human eyes. But unlike today, there were not multiple camera angles. There was basically the one static image of this rocket flying through space.
1: 20 seconds and counting. 15 seconds. Guidance is internal. 12, 11, 10, 9. Ignition sequence start. 6, 5, 4, 4 2, 1, 1, 0. All activated. The Eagle has landed. Roger, Tranquility. We copy you on the ground. You got a bunch of guys about to turn blue. We're breathing again. Thanks a lot. Okay, Neil, we can see you coming down the ladder now. I'm uh, at the foot of the ladder. The lamb footbeds are only uh, uh, depressed in the surface about uh, one or two inches.
0: After Apollo 11 landed, many of the scientists and the engineers that had worked on the program were no longer actively working on anything as monumental. Many of them complained of depression, moodiness, irritability. Buzz Aldrin, who was the second man to walk on the moon, right after Neil Armstrong took his first steps, suffered from depression and alcoholism after his moonwalk, and returning back to Earth, playing the role of a hero. He found the publicity to her to be mundane and lacking any real substance. The question seems to be, what do you do after you walk on the moon? Linus Pauling, chemist, won the Nobel Prize in chemistry in 1954. He was asked, so what does one do after they win the Nobel Prize? He said matter-of-factly, "Change careers, of course. Pauling became a biochemist and did extensive work in biochemistry. He also became a peace activist in 1962, He won the Nobel Peace Prize. He is the only person in history to be awarded two unshared Nobel Prizes. Let's take a look at Olympic athletes. They spend years training for a moment in time, a moment of competition. And after the Games, many of them report depression and moodiness and a feeling of despair. After you walk on the moon, what do you do? You change careers, of course. You pick a new vista. You look to a new horizon. You set new goals, new intentions. You pick a new destination, a worthy destination. I was offered a position with Leo Burnett Advertising uh, while I was still in college, but I turned them down. But what I did love was their motto and their logo a hand reaching for the stars. And the motto was, when you reach for the stars, at least you'll never come up with a handful of mud. Abraham Maslow, American psychologist and philosopher. You're probably familiar with Maslow's hierarchy of needs. What you may not be familiar with is his concept of self-actualization. Realizing all that you can be and living in the upper reaches of your capacity. Had this to say about living below your capacity. If you plan on being anything less than you are capable of being, you will probably be unhappy all the days of your life. Having a worthy destination, a compelling future to live into, is motivating, inspiring, and gets you out of bed in the morning. Now, you might be saying, I'm not an Olympic athlete. I'm not an astronaut. I'm not going to the moon. I'm not a biochemist, but even so, you can create your own Everest, your own mountain to climb. You can plug into something bigger than yourself. And I have an example from my past. I, when I was a courier for Federal Express, and I think I had been for the, with the company for about five or seven years at this point, and uh, I was tired. We were being overworked, we were understaffed, and I had kind of developed this attitude, you know, this not-so-inspiring attitude of I was just a driver shucking packages. Now, I didn't start out that way, but I where I found myself at that point in time was just like the first stonemason. I was carrying this rock up a hill. Well, I can remember making an attempt on a priority letter delayed because of inclement weather. In fact, the weather was so bad, it was delayed about three days. And when it was finally attempted at its destination, it was refused. I was told it was a bid and the bid had closed the day before. And I said, okay. And I put it back on my truck. And it just so happened that I was the courier that returned it to the shipper. I can remember actually walking in the office of Art Door and it was a rare occasion that i actually talked to him personally he was the owner of the company and i talked about how it'd been refused and it was delayed and he was pissed he said do you realize that this was a bid worth 16 million dollars this would have fed my company my employees for a year it would have sent people to college it would have it's the livelihood that letter that that envelope represents the livelihood of 100 people. He said to me, your sorry is not good enough. And I walked out the office and I was rather indignant talking to myself saying, if it was that important, why didn't you just drive it over and deliver it yourself? Because it was just going about 90 miles away. Maybe I should explain. At that point in time, FedEx did not have the permissions, the regulatory permissions to do intrastate deliveries any packages were picked up, even if it was just across town, actually had to leave the state and go to our hub in Memphis or our other hub in Indianapolis. There were packages and letters in New York City that were going to the building across the street. And those had to leave the state first and come back the next day and then be delivered. And so that's why uh, this letter that was just going 90 miles away actually had to go to Memphis first. It was locked up in a container and the plane was grounded and didn't leave, couldn't fly for a day or two. Now, today the regulations have changed, but that was the beast that FedEx had to deal with at that point in time. So back to the story I was telling you, uh, I had just left Art doors office and I was sitting in my truck talking to myself. But as it goes, I look inside, I look at my own motivation, I look at, you know, my own internal processing and as I drove down the road, I realized that Art door had given it to FedEx because he trusted us, because he bought the slogan absolutely positively overnight by the next day, or your money back. While well, he wasn't looking for his money back, he was looking for the guaranteed delivery. It was in that moment that I reframed my position at FedEx. The job didn't change, but my attitude about it completely reversed. I realized that I helped move the world, that I have no idea what's in those plain brown boxes or contained in the envelope. I could be delivering life-saving medicine. I could be delivering a contract that changes the lives of a 100 people and their families and the, everyone that that family touches. It's a ripple effect. I decided right then and there, that I was going to treat every package as if it was worth $16 million. And over the next few years, I received a Bravo Zulu Award for customer service on five different occasions from varying levels of management. And my commitment to the customer exceeded my position as a driver on into my position as a manager. I was not no longer delivering packages. We didn't deliver packages. We changed lives. We were building a cathedral, a testament, a memorial to God divine, with spires reaching up that would touch the heavens. You see, it's not what you do. It's how you are being when you do it. When I first became a coach, when I first decided to be a change agent, I said to myself, All I want to do is change the life of one person. I just want to make a significant difference for one person. If I do that, then I'll be satisfied. Well, I said that at 8 o'clock. 11 o'clock that night, an acquaintance calls me and says she's thinking about suicide. I talked to her for the next two hours on the phone. And when we hung up with each other, she had a new perception of life. She's still a friend of mine. But the next morning, I woke up and I realized that I had already helped one person. I had already assisted one person in transforming their life. What was I going to do? What do you do after you win the Nobel Prize? So I set my sights on transforming and assisting a hundred people. And that happened much faster than I thought it would. And after that, I set my my sights on a new horizon for 10,000 people. And six months ago, I took an accounting of everyone that I've touched, every person that I've worked with, and it came out to about 10,000 people. So I decided I needed a new mission, a new moonshot. So I created the mission for myself to create a 100,000 leaders, to unleash 100,000 leaders. And then I thought, am I thinking too small? Because it seemed it still seemed kind of in the realm of the doable. So now I'm going to unleash a million new leaders. That's a stretch goal. I have no idea exactly how I'm going to do it. This podcast is part of that. My Aligned Self Coaching Program is part of that. All my courses, everything I talk about, the posts that I put on Facebook and in LinkedIn and all these different places, that's all about reaching the million. Now, a million isn't that many, really, in the grand scheme of things. Jack Canfield and Victor Hansen wrote uh, Chicken Soup for the Soul, and they sold 80 million copies. There's seven and a half billion people on the planet. A million is a drop in a bucket. You see, though, I don't have to do it all myself. I don't need the credit for it. I just need to know for myself that I'm making a difference. Now, I can still go for the 100,000, and if they're leaders, they're going to touch, you know, each of those people will touch 10,000 people. But let's say they don't reach 10,000, they only reach 1,000 people, which is really doable. Then I will have touched 100 million people. If those leaders reach out and touch and transform the lives of 10,000 people, we're talking of over a billion people impacted with the idea that you create your reality. You are responsible for your life, response-abled to make a difference for yourself and all those around you. When you get to your bones, a sense of peace, love, and joy, and a sense of mastery over your life, then I know that you are going to impact everybody around you in a positive way, that you are going to be happier, more joyful, and more productive. But that million people that I'm shooting for, I'm only going to reach them one at a time. And that's why I'm talking to you and and why I'm appreciative that I have this relationship with you. So as we bring this to a close and kind of wrap it up with a, a nice little bow, I want you to ask the question, what would be a mission? What would be a purpose worthy of your life? And you are committing your life to it. You're committing your life in the context that you only have one life or this one go around, as far as you know. And however you spend your time is a commitment. Whatever you consider the priority, whatever gets your attention, that is what you're dedicating your life to. And it is up to you. It's your choice on how you spend your life. Jim Rohn, the speaker, once said, most people major in minor things. So take an assessment of your life. What gets your attention? How are you spending and investing your life? Now, it doesn't, again, it doesn't have to be Olympic gold. It doesn't have to be Mount Everest. It can be raising amazing kids. It can be making a difference for your children. Now, understand that that has an endpoint. Once they move out, you know, they're on their own. They're making their own decisions, creating their own life. In fact, most of the time when they're in your charge, they're making their own decisions. You know, all you can really do is kind of guide them and catch them when they fall. But there is a point where you're going to have to pick a new vista, pick a new horizon to move towards. So again, here's the formula. Pick a worthy destination, one that is worthy of your time, worthy of your energy from your point of view. It doesn't have to be yours completely, all yourself. You can plug into somebody else's vision, something that aligns with the way you see the world, and you can jump on that love train. Two, make sure that it is big, that it makes a huge impact, that you can't conceive exactly how you're going to accomplish it but you understand it's in how you are being from day to day that helps with the fulfillment of that. And this is how I tie it in with the aligned self. I make sure that all my participants, their guiding principles, their unifying principles, their, their values are aligned with fulfilling on their mission or their mission is in alignment with what they consider most valuable in their life. And then their beliefs match up and support those uh, unifying principles. There's behaviors and rules set in place that, so everything is aligned. The heart is aligned with the mind and their, their body in one congruent activity. And they know in their heart that they definitely have a stand in the world. And each and everything that they do fulfills on their purpose, from the smallest thing to the largest thing, because it's all tied in, and aligned with their self-expression in their life. There's nothing more powerful than this. In the end, your only real job is to recognize the staircase that the universe sets before you that gets you from where you are to where you want to go. Moving towards this mission is following your bliss. And this is what Joseph Campbell said about following your bliss. When you follow your bliss... You put yourself on a kind of track that has been there all the while, waiting for you. And the life that you ought to be living is the one you are living. When you can see that, you begin to meet people who are in your field of bliss, and they open doors to you. I say, follow your bliss and don't be afraid. And the doors will open where you didn't know they were going to be. So I would love your feedback. I'd love for you to share how this impacted you or what you thought of it. Uh, feel free to join our Facebook group if you haven't yet joined the Align Self Podcast listeners Facebook group. And in answering the questions, how did you hear about the Facebook group? It's on the podcast. There you can comment about the podcast in any of the podcast, present questions and ideas and post positive things. Be part of the family, part of the tribe. So until next time, this is Daniel Danovi, charging you with following your bliss and living the epic adventure.